Hi, Robin. Hi. How are you? Oh, it's been a week. I know. This time you got sick. I got sick. The world got sick. Sick. Colton got sick with love. Kind of. Like, did he? I don't Um, know. So today, oh, this is, what is this? What are we called? Oh, this is, can I steal you for a sec? To talk about critical theory. And we're both, we're sitting like really close to each other. We're in, Looking in each other's <laughs> eyes and it's kind of uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable? We're in my office. I bought a new couch. Thank you, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So, um, I also just spilled water on my laptop. Maybe so. we're going inst- to, um, it was a blooper that we might insert right here. <laughs> you can hear the aftermath of us screaming. I'm just going to bust it out. Okay. I thought I didn't kick it over. Was it Carly? Yeah, I I blamed my cat, but it wasn't. It was kind of my fault. I dropped a pillow on my seltzer water, and then it fell onto my computer. So we're... We're backtracking a little bit. We know that we're a little off schedule, but we thought it was good to talk about feminist theory, post-feminist theory in reference to hometowns. Yeah, so we're talking about feminism today, which feels really overwhelming because there's so much. We're going to kind of do our best to give like a, not just like a theory overview, but I guess kind of like a timeline overview of like the waves. Yeah. Because there's a lot. We'll be real brief. Yeah. As always. We can't cover everything. We're yeah. not experts. Yeah. I consider myself a feminist as a person, as an animal, <laughs> as an academic. What about you? Yeah. I think that I definitely identify as like a feminist in my personal life. And then also like feminist theory has been really important to me and like my my own research. Like I really identify with using feminist grounded theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, so I loved, like, feminism and methodology is something that I think is, like, super helpful, even if, like, my subject isn't necessarily, like, like women totally, mm-hmm. but feminism, I think, is, allows you to do a lot of cool stuff, so. Yeah. I think I brought that up just again, to like, when we talked about queer theory, like, feminism, there's the practice, there's the worldview, there's also the academic practice, and they're right. all related, they're not completely... separate from each other so feminist theory is just exactly what it sounds like the theoretical things behind the way that people practice their feminism yeah so i think like do you want to do you want to start out with like what are the waves of feminism sure so in the history of feminism of, of what kind of we are referring to as feminism is said to have happened in waves over history, um, and this is kind of a liter- a linear view, um, and it sort of sets up the idea that uh, like one wave happened after each other. But we know that's not how history works. Um, there's definitely overlap, and it's not a unified thing. But it's just for this sake, it's just easier to understand. I don't even know if I like talking about it in waves anymore. Mm. But the best way. So the first wave is the uh, turn of the century. Not Y2K, the turn (laughs) of the 20th century, um, which was suffrage, which was the right for women to vote. Um, And it was very based on that and having equal representation, 
a lot of uh, suffragettes were seen as sick, as lesbians, um, as sort of hysterical, and um, not being real women. So there was a lot of pushback, as you can imagine. The other thing that I think is glossed over kind of our history books is that it was on the backs of black women that these women were still believing in segregation, probably for the most part did not want black women to have the vote. Mm -hmm. Or black men. Or black men, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's something important. And again, there's just just say that and leave it, but I think it's just important to know um, because especially kind of in school and kind of in popular culture, we're kind of like given this like, Christopher Columbus-esque mm-hmm. kind of... Um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but there's a lot... Obviously, there's a lot of important work that was that was done. Um, the second wave um, is, I mean, it's arguable, kind of started late 60s, early 70s. And that was, um, as you can imagine, it's right after the Vietnam War. It's after the sexual revolution. Um, women are working outside the home more, kind of that suburbia goddess of the household the feminine yeah mystique mystique has been um explored not solved so women are looking we're looking at um equal pay for women anti-discrimination um starting with reproductive rights um women to um have the right to choose and it was a lot of um not just equal rights, it also came out as like celebrating women, like women's power and feminist power. So the National Organization of Women, um, it was very political. You think of a lot of political organizations and rallies. Uh, and this also, first of all, it was a very white movement as well. Is, mm-hmm. is um, So a lot of black women did not feel included in this, um, nor should they have, because it was kind of... Um, it was it, like very white feminism. Yeah, very yeah. white feminism. I I was hesitating to use that term because it's kind of a, a weird thing. So right. again, we're we're looking at the main sort of I want to say mainstreaming of feminism. Also, what's interesting for me in the second wave is that we start looking at um, some writers saying that pornography is dangerous mm. to women. Sex work is inherently. Um, exploiting women so kind of this almost sex negative um, type of type of way of looking at things and if you think about pornography was just sort of um, more accessible on home video in movie in you know movie houses and stuff movie houses <laughs> we know what I mean. we're yeah. like in the 20s <laughs> yeah yeah so this lasted um, and again these dates are very subjective this lasted um, probably until the 90s, or like Y2K, but I actually, that's also iffy because there's also, some people would say we didn't go right into the third wave. There was kind of this like liminal space. So the third wave is the 90s, um, looking at Judith. So Judith Butler's, um, which we're going to talk about work, came out in the early 90s and that changed a lot. You have... Um, so uh, going in the second wave to the third wave looked a lot about representation in entertainment and popular culture, which is obviously an interest of mine. So how women are represented um, and kind of the the systematic annihilation of some women uh, and also kind of like sex objects. Think about like 80s movies, muscle movies, the women, there's damsel in distress. But the third wave is uh, goes into 
um, more of a what I what I again I'm labeling this kind of choice feminism and about respecting women's choices across the board. So supporting sex workers, supporting um, women who work in pornography, and you know saying that what they do is empowering. Also, the third wave you start looking at online. So being online. Um, really changed a lot. So you have a lot of um, online campaigning, harassment against women and campaigning about that. Now, one could argue, again, this is, feel free to totally disagree with me. Some would say that we are already moving into a fourth wave of feminism, which may be the case, but I feel like you can't really know until you're, like, you're looking back on it. I don't think, I think we've barely been sitting in the third wave yeah. We're just now getting, like, a, for me, I think that 20 years, like, if, if something has been around 20 years, I think that's a good time to, like, actually sit and produce work about it. Not that you can't produce work about it, but that you have a good kind of sample set. So some would say we're going into the fourth wave, which some people also identify as post-feminism. Some don't, and that's something we're going to talk about too. So, yeah, that was my. Is there anything you want to feel free to disagree with me? I think that, um, I don't, yeah, it's like feminism, like queer theory, is a very like diverse body of theory, like, like epistemologically, intellectually, yeah. and then also like, um, like spatially as well. So, yeah. like, even though you know, like, we say like the first wave of feminism is a lot of like, you know, white dominated yeah. by suffragettes that like. Within the United States and, like, globally, like, women of color and, like, have been, like, organizing and theorizing. So, like, feminine, there's so much out there. So, we're just kind of giving you kind of, like, a, a like, an American oh, yeah. sort I, of primer. Oh, I definitely forgot to mention that. Yeah, like, yeah. This is very Western American. Right. So, like, there's other, you know, other things going on. Yeah. We're just, this is what, like, we are the most familiar with as, like, American scholars. Um, and also... Um, yeah, so just like a... Oh, uh, yeah. Disclaimer. Oh, I also want to add, and I feel like I might have dismissed it too quickly, the reason that um, that there's the idea that we're going from the third wave to the fourth wave is that we're looking at um, intersectionality and women of color and feminism um, that includes everybody that's not just focused on white or privileged. Um, so, again, I'm not denying that that's happening. I think... I don't know if that, um, maybe it's semantics. I'm not saying that that needs to be a whole new wave because I think that almost diminishes the work that, that has, has been, been done right, right. throughout the first wave, second wave, and third wave. Like, it has happened, like, right. obviously, which is kind of my problem with the waves of feminism. I of think course. it privileges that. So I don't want to, I wouldn't draw this big divide and be like, okay, and now we can talk about women of color. I think it's definitely come to the forefront, which is important, but yeah. So I just might be semantics about going third wave, fourth wave. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I guess I, well, I just exited out of my notes accidentally. Okay. So I'm going to get those back. Well, but, uh, I'll ask you, well, then I'll ask you a question. So yeah. I just talked about um, feminism sort of as like in practice. What, how would, so if I was using a feminist theory in my work, like what do you, how do you see that being like? To apply feminist theory. Yeah. I think that, um, like, a good, like, bringing in two kind of, like, texts, I think, is, like, a good way. Like, you were talking about yeah. representation of women and, like, how do we look at representations of um, of women in popular culture and media. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, 
two scholars who've done this really well, like Laura Mulvey, her essay from the 70s on visual pleasure and narrative cinema, um, and then Bell Hooks's response sort of to that essay, The Oppositional Gaze, Black Female Spectators um, from the 90s. Um, Both like, like Mulvey's a white woman and her essay is kind of looking at like, okay, the camera is the male gaze. And so when we're analyzing representations of women in film and in television, we need to look at how women are treated as... um, as objects, sexual objects, um, you yeah. know, like through the actual like camera angles and like what the audience is, um, how the audience like responds to the image and representation of a woman. And Bell Hooks is um, sort of like critiquing that as in um, it's a white gaze. It's not just a male gaze. Yeah. It's a white male gaze. And so Bell Hooks responds and is like, we need to look at the way in which um, like black female spectators have a, um, a transgressive gaze that can destabilize white supremacy and patriarchy through their um, viewing of certain filmic texts. So I think that like those essays are good examples of how, um, you know, we can look at like material production, like, okay, what do camera angles say? Yeah. Um, and then also like look at audience reception to look at, okay, how are, not just how are women how are women portrayed, but how do, how does the public and has how does the society interact with and um, uh, like comment on you know like media texts for yeah. example? And there's still um, it's changing, but if you look at kind of even the the top movies in the past couple decades, they're mostly male centered characters mm-hmm. and kind of this idea of a woman being her own character and having her own agency is still, we're still kind of like struggling with that as mm-hmm. far as representation. So again, as we talked about, I think we talked about critical race theory, there's counting representation, but then there's also looking at what is the representation. And I think with streaming services and independent things, I think more women are creators from the outset. And I think that is helping, but we still have a long way to go. I think for me, um, like feminist theory can be, it can almost be like difficult to find a good example text like queer theory because so many of like, you know, like I just mentioned bell hooks, but we talked about bell hooks when we're talking about critical race theory, or we mentioned Adrienne Rich last week and her um, like theory of compulsory heterosexuality. And that is like definitely like a queer theory kind of text, but it's also like a feminist text about how compulsory heterosexuality, um, affects um and structures and disciplines um women's gender presentation their sexual expression and their Mm -hmm. possibilities for inclusion into like the political collective so a lot of feminist theory i think also intersects with um with critical race theory with queer theory oh yeah and um and we're talking about intersectionality like kimberly crenshaw she's like a legal scholar and like her that i think we talked about that um We'll link it, I guess, like that text about um, like women of color and violence in the yeah. legal system. That's definitely a feminist text. And the concept of intersectionality is so useful when we're talking about, you know, like in cultural studies. Yeah. But feminism comes from so many disciplines. So I don't know. I guess I just want to like note that. Yeah. Um, I think so. I can give an example of how I've applied it. Yeah is, um, so I study, uh, popular romance novels and I think, um, a lot of what is considered lowbrow or mass culture has been really dismissed as useless and, um, kind of a, uh, guilty pleasure or not really important. And I think a lot of that is because it's feminized. So in romance novels, instead of kind of just dismissing them as like, 
trash or assuming that they are warping women's minds, I think is taking a very, not taking a feminist view. And there's a lot of scholars like Janice Radway um, who have really taken a look at it and be like, okay, these are women's texts, quote unquote. What does that mean? What does it provide women? What is the experience of women? So I wouldn't say that everybody agrees that romance novels are feminist, but the feminist theory is to really look at them and do, you know, audience reception and what are the stories that are being told and how does it relate to women's lives? So yeah, that's something that I've um, come across a lot. I think going off of that sort of like talking about looking at um like mass culture that a lot of feminist theory draws from also draws from like like Marxist feminism and yeah. the role of um like women's um like women's production of like cultural yeah. objects but also like women's um like physical reproduction of um of the nation like through like child rearing and childbirth is really important and also mm-hmm. like feminism and psychoanalysis really like jive together as well which i guess we'll talk about later like looking at um uh like consciousness and um like the female mind or the male mind or like the way language um can be structured um like around i don't know like masculine forms of power Uh so but for me i think like feminist grounded theory has been the most helpful like looking at how um which you know, it doesn't necessarily like, explicitly have to do with, like, question of, like, women's representation or mm-hmm. women, but feminism, like, I think decenters like, the researcher as the, like, mm-hmm. pinnacle of knowledge. And so feminism mm-hmm. is, like, for me, feminist theory, feminist research is about, like, collaboration and, um, like, destabilization of, like, the white supremacy and of, like, yeah. hierarchies between, like, subject and researcher. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth mentioning uh, Judith Butler. Yeah, definitely. The Judith Butler, our queen. Um, Who is not without critique. True, true, true. I mean, I do like her, but that's kind of our job. And I think she's pretty good at critiquing herself, too. But anyway. Yeah. So, um, so Gender Trouble is one of her yeah. most famous and honestly most cited works, I think, in a lot of critical theory. Definitely. Um, yeah, so like... This is from, like, the 90s. Um, early, I think, 93? Yeah. I wish there was a way to check. This, it's early 90s. It's this says 1990, right? Okay. Here. Oh, 1990. So, oh, well, that, 19, is the, that is the earliest 90 you could think of. Yeah, so she is... Um, she's kind of writing about, um, like, identity at, like, social identity and, like, gender identity as... Um, is not biological, obviously. Like, there's no innate you know, there's no innate feminine and masculine that gender is a series of um, performances and repetitions that are, um, you know, by society that are disciplined into certain types of presentations. Yeah. So, So, yeah. uh, Men acting feminine is disciplined in society. You're punished. It's, it's right. If you wear a, you know, if you are, you know, society constructs it. So, that a man could not wear a dress and that is disciplined and punished through social ridicule yeah. or dress codes, even though... Or what's available in stores. Right, like yeah. it's just assumed. Like boys' toys and girls' toys, which mm-hmm. has started to be dismantled. But yeah. kind of like that, yeah, that's not based... And this is also um, during the time of the big discussion that sex and gender are different concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, t- when you go and you talk about um, transgender individuals or... Mm-hmm. 
transgender studies. It, Judith Butler is also, it's also very involved in queer theory. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, like, she is pointing to the fact um, that through these, like, repetitions of um, of gender, there's a possibility for, for parody and transgression. And, like, yeah. her big example is talking about, um, like, drag, for example, and how that, um, you know, playing with the concept, with presentations and aesthetics, um, you know, can be politically and like sort of like um like subjectively subversive to existing power structures so yeah. through parody and performance we can um potentially destabilize um you know like multiple hierarchies hierarchies of patriarchy hierarchies of the white supremacy for example and judith butler gets really criticized um for kind of like the easier said than done right she's like that's the solution do resist it and some people are like well that's not possible it's not practical right and her defense she actually is a, she comes from a philosophy training true so she is providing that theory that does inform our activism and the way that we act and mm-hmm. i think you know to, to for a man to put like to put on a dress and walk down the street um easier said than done right like i think there's because the punishments that she is talking about she's talking about them more conceptually like punishment is death like we know that people are murdered because of their gender Mm nonconformity. so i think that's some of the critique for her yeah Um, but i i would push back and say like that's she's not Mm -hmm. an act i don't know if she'd call herself an activist i don't want to put that on her but she's definitely a theorist and an academic so these are theories that will inform Um, other things but yeah I mean she's not above critique no and I think that what people have found um like uncomfortable perhaps like in her in her text gender trouble is that um she's kind of dismantling the idea of like an ascent like of of the subject or of identity and so like we're talking about before in certain waves of feminism um you know political organizing Mm -hmm. and expression has been really I don't know, structured around the concept that you, you are a woman or like there's some type of, you know, selfhood and experience of, of womanness. And therefore like we need to have, you know, legal and political, you know, like actions and changes because these categories exist. But Judith Butler is kind of, you know, destabilizing that very notion of, you know, Mm-hmm. of an identity or of a subject because if your gender performance or your performance of self is just a series of um of, of repetitions and imitations then what does that mean then like our selfhood is kind of destabilized and yeah. so that can be kind of problematic when we're thinking about practical organizing but it can also be very liberating and open up um new ways of thinking about um yeah the practice of self and the expression yeah. of self so there's you know problems and you know generations with her theory yeah and there's there's so much feminist writing out there that's a good thing that is constantly critiquing each other which is important because um you know we we should that is the point it's it's in the title of what we're doing critical theory yeah um so do you i don't know can you this is like a concept that i've had trouble with Uh like in like as a feminist researcher and learning yeah. about feminist theory is this concept of post-feminism. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you could like give me like, what is the one one on like post-feminism? Okay, Cause try. this, is, this yeah. is a whole other, like, yeah. you know, 
you, I don't know, branch or like yeah, it's hard thing it's, that's going on, and it's in the and there's a lot of definitions of it. So the reason I love post feminism is because I don't fully understand it. It's kind of like a big fuck you to structures of what we have known, which I always loved. Like I was so part of it is also dismantling. Like I love any sort of dismantling, um, and so post feminism, I still get caught up in the word post, which. You know, if we're going to, it means after. So I always think of it as like the fourth wave, but post just means outside of the structures of what we're talking about. So it's very related to postmodernism. And for me, it's like postmodernism is still, I don't know if I have a hundred percent grasp on it. I'm sort of getting it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's um, where feminism intersects with postmodernism, right? Yeah. So um, an, an author that I have really enjoyed is Angela McRobbie who writes about postmodernism? and she also applies it to popular culture. So obviously that's my area. Um, and she has, um, she has a lot of things. This is actually not from her, but um, it's from Nicola Rivers, um, but who just has a really good de- definition that I'm actually going to read. Nice. Okay. As such, post-feminism as a sensibility is not fixed or reliant on a singular understanding of the term. Instead, it emphasizes the contradictory nature of post-feminist discourses and the entanglement of both feminist and anti-feminist themes within them. The understanding of post-feminism as a sensibility is perhaps most suited to the analysis um, because of phenomenon in popular culture, but also due to the movement allows between seemingly static interpretations post-feminism. So... So yeah, so what does that even mean? It just means that you're sort of really diving headfirst into the different definitions of feminism and that, uh, you know, if you talk about the second wave, the idea, even sort of dismantling the idea of like woman, like what is woman? Mm. What should a woman be? Um, A lot of people... A lot of people, I don't know who these people are, so stop saying that. So, for instance, a very a post-feminist view on pornography is that, almost a very, like, libertarian view, like, it's up to the woman to decide. Yeah. Now, if a, like, if a woman chooses to do sex work, that should be respected, that's her choice. Now, the other conversation is, what are the factors surrounding her going into that sex work? Did she, does she feel like it's her only choice? Does that matter? Does she feel the fact that she is being commodified because of her sexuality? Is that a bad thing, even if she is okay with it? So it's kind of asking those questions and not having those answers. The other thing is if a woman, um, I think it's kind of destroyed this way, if a woman really wants to be a housewife and wear makeup and be super fem- and super feminine traditionally, um, there might be kind of like a knee-jerk reaction to be like, no, you're you're setting back feminism. But the fact that that's like the choice mm-hmm. of the woman um, is also something that is in post-feminism. So it's just really all the contradictions. A lot is talked about how feminism is sometimes prescribed, like how to be a feminist. I think with, we're bombarded with all these images and conversations online about being a bad feminist, right? And we see this in the celebrity news all the time that somebody says something and mm-hmm. they're like they're being calling somebody a white feminist may be um, a kind of a post, one of these post-feminist discourses. 
Um, so it's really just being in the space that is, like I was talking about before, the space in between waves, that this is kind of looking at those cracks and those contradictions and not having an answer. Kind of like queer theory where the fact that there's no feminist, non-feminist, fem feminist, anti-feminist, that we're, you're kind of taking that out of the picture. That's not the question to ask. Yeah. Does that... No, that well, was that was good. I think for like going off of what you were saying about like this in betweenness, like with feminism, yeah. um, a piece that I've read recently that I I found very like helpful to kind of think about yeah. like feminism not just within like the academy and society, but like feminism and like feminism globally and femini feminism capitalism and like the nation state is Nancy Fraser. Uh -huh. um, she's a political theorist and a feminist theorist and her piece Feminism, Capitalism and the Cunning of History from the yeah. New Left Review um, has been very interesting to me to read as I consider, um, like, like I said, I guess earlier, like my research is on um, like refugee diasporas. And, like, alt-right digital <laughs> cultures. Um, and I'm very interested in it, in how, like, feminism um, and women kind of, like, play into these kind of resurgent um, alt-right and conservative discourses and how um, women are mobilized as, um, as images and as, represent, like, representatives to justify the securitization of, like, immigration policy. Um, that, um, that, oh, my gosh, we can't have you know, refugees coming in from the Middle East or North Africa because they're going to, they don't understand, um, like, our, you know, modern European, you know, secular culture norms that we are so, yeah. um, you know, we're so progressive. And so women and this, I, this discourse of feminism is mobilized to really, you know, racist and conservative, like, political ends. And so Nancy Fraser really thinks through some of these things about how feminism can be um, commodified, mobilized, and and deployed uh -huh. um, for a lot of different interests. And so, like going to that in between space, like what is anti-feminism, and like how do we distill a definition from feminism, and how do we recognize when feminism and, and neoliberalism kind of like work together in not intersectional ways? Yeah. So I think I would really recommend this piece. Um, so a couple of just more as we let's move to more like concrete examples. Um, so Roxanne Gay's Bad Feminism, which is a book that people know about or have read about or know Roxanne Gay. She a lot of what she talks about is post feminism. I don't think she would label. She doesn't use that word. I'm using that word to put on her. But the idea of a bad feminist is mm -hmm. this post is really um, exploring post feminism. The show Girls is very post feminist. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, um, I think a lot of new sort of um, women as anti-heroes is exploring mm -hmm. a lot of the post-feminist ideas. Um, watching The Bachelor, The Bachelor, um, the way that people watch it now and interact with it, I would call very post-feminist. Do you want it? I'm going to quiz you. Do you know why I'm calling it post-feminist? Really uh. condescending. <laughs> I mean, I just I wanted. I, I'm really asking because I want to know if you. I really should ask. Like, do you agree that it's post-feminist? But like, I think. You, but also, why do you think I think it is? I think what I. About me. Yeah, I think I don't like what I don't like about post-feminism, and this is kind of like goes to like how I can be like, oh, I don't know about Judith Butler's, you know, like gender performance. Sometimes, like I think that for feminism, like. 
it is important because of the histories of like marginalization yeah. and like violence against like women to like explicitly like I I would read watching The Bachelor as like as a feminist act like with it depending on like the position of like the viewer in the audience like I view it not for me as post-feminist but as explicitly feminist because I'm engaged in like a a critical deconstruction so for like for me I really I want to centralize feminism and like lean into its um lean into feminist structures and I guess like lean away from the in-between space if sure. that makes sense. Oh, like, yeah. for me, is like, and that's what, but that is what's cool, though, I can, like, see about post-feminism, yeah. is that post-feminism allows for me to be, to do that, to, like, to, like, get between that interplay. Yeah, and obviously, like, you, call, like, you calling your own act feminist, like, that's, you know, self-naming. Right, important. right. But, like, to, when you just said that, I was thinking, well, that is actually post-feminist because you are mm-hmm. taking and enjoying a text right, right. that is problematic problematic yeah. uh i don't want to throw out the word anti-feminist but but very rooted in this binary and gender regressive binary, yeah regressive but also reclaiming it and re-watching it um and i would say just based on my experience people who watch it um you know definitely are in a negotiated space definitely. of i'm watching it because can you believe this um, I want to critique it. It feels so regressive. So that's kind of a, a post-feminist space, but you don't have to decide if it, like it's, you could be feminist in a post-feminist space. Like it's true, not, true. that's why, like, I also get tripped up. Like it's not like feminist, anti-feminist, post-feminist. Like, right. Those right. aren't on the same level. They're like, all yeah. interlocking, interspersed yeah. discourses. So post-feminist is more like an approach, I would guess yeah. that you can approach mm-hmm. and, we're uh, like it's not it's not in the game to be like is this feminist or not or is this post right, like, right. that's just kind of like yeah. self defeating so so with speaking that of, yeah cool so with that do we want to move into our our for me a feminist reading of the bachelor <laughs> and and for for you a post feminist reading um i'm not going to label it okay that's cool um i mean and again just like I find the it was hometowns right like yeah. I feel like it's been We're, so yeah, long. I, I'm I like, was sick. I'm, I'm sorry. like, what happened? Um, but yeah, feminist feminist theory, post feminist theory, I think is very is going to be interesting to talk about the hometowns. Even though I said this last week, but I feel like I I blacked out when I watched it. I, I this is when I get two things: incredibly bored, yeah, and incredibly angry. Like I get angrier as it goes on. It's not as fun. Like, the the fun for me stops, like, when they start saying I'm in love with you. Like, because it's just not, it's, it's a real drag for me. And I start to see, like, before that you can see, like, the performative reality of it. And they're kind of in on the joke. But this is when it turns to really presenting it as it is and i know that i can yeah. determine that it's not but like i think the characters really believe it and that's just not yeah enjoyable for me so so do we want to do um i mean there are four hometowns do you want to talk about it per person or like just general i mean they were all pretty similar like overarching um, let's okay so first it was caitlin caitlin uh caitlin 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 you just made me worried. Like, I was huh. doubting my whole um, knowledge. And they're in Virginia. Oh, God. I, I God was... bless what was not, not Richmond. It's in, um, 
I was um, tidying my home okay. during Kaylin's episode, so I know that they got into like a little horse-drawn carriage. It's a nice area of Virginia, I will say. It's an area that I have been. Oh. Possibly the not most exciting place in the world, which is fine. Like, it's a lovely place. There's, It's not like a vacation destination for some, but it's very nice, and I felt bad that it's not very, like, bachelor-friendly. Yeah. You know, which doesn't mean it's a bad place. No. But they're, um... So they took a carriage ride. Yeah, and that was what it was. And then they go to a very nice brick home for, um... Oh, wait, can we just back up where she was giving him a tour? And he was like, that's where um, my mom was a phlebotomist. This is where I would draw blood. It was just like a weird story. She's like, and I almost passed out. This is when I, like, did not pay attention. Okay. So... So that so that weird. was what she okay. said, well, and then they stopped right. at her favorite ice cream place. Oh right, and she was like, "You smell like ice cream or something." Oh no, she did. I okay, don't know. one thing that was okay. The only thing that made me kind of smile was she said the thing about this ice cream is that it smells really good. So he leans his face in, and she like shoves it in his face, like oldest trick in the book. Oh my god, if anyone did that to me, I, would I know literally. I'm a Virgo, but, I can't handle. But that. he let like it was like a genuine surprise. Like he he the fact that he fell for it Is like delighted charming. them, and it was actually like a real. It was like the only real moment. Yeah, I didn't watch that. I'm also, I'm really hungry. So I, you're eating a donut. So I'm eating this powdered donut right now. Okay. So I'm not going to like chew into the recording. I mean, but you should. Um, But yeah, so I didn't pay attention to that. That sounds Then they cute. went to a barbecue where there was like so many there people There were so there. many people. Was too much. Was this too was much. actually, okay, so kind of, I don't know, just skipping to the only thing that I found interesting and potentially, uh-huh. you know... Um, a transgressive gender performance yeah. that um, Judith Butler might label um, was Kaylin's discussion with her stepfather. Um, Can I just interrupt? Okay. Luke Perry died. Who's that? Oh, Emily. Who's that? Like, I'm legitimately upset. He was on Beverly Hills 90210. I'm sorry. Dylan McKay. I don't know who that is. And now he's on Riverdale. Like, I'm I legitimately... I don't mean... But this is, I just found out, he had a stroke earlier, and Aww. it's like, again, we can, we, I didn't know him, he seemed like a generally, like, really nice guy, was very into it, and provided a lot of entertainment. I'm sorry. That's okay. I should, I should, that was, I was checking my messages while we were potting. Well, I am eating a donut Okay, now, so. so back to, wow, okay. Well... That was, yeah. Well, going off of, I don't know. Okay, what yeah, were you going, talking about? Their, their conversation when um, Kaylin was, like, talking to her, like, her stepfather, I thought was, um, you know, she was telling him how much she, you know, viewed him as her father and how he had just been, like, a really great presence and a great support in her life. And yeah. he, um, and he, like, started crying. And I found it, like, very refreshing like as oh the cut with her stepfather yeah with her stepfather and how you know she was like i think of you as my dad and i it i don't know of course like this is produced but it it seemed like it felt real it it, it appeared you know it was cut as a very touching moment and i think i think it was um it was refreshing and interesting to see that type of male um vulnerability on the show yeah like in such a especially in this episode when 
this feels extremely traditional and patriarchal. Yeah. Like, you have to get a blessing. You have to ask permission for um, your daughter to marry. That, you know, that they centralize a man crying and feeling, you know, touched in an emotional yeah. way. And I thought that that was just one instance where we get, um, I don't know, like a crack or like a break yeah. in these kind of stereotypical, stereotypically like masculine male performances. So I thought that that date was interesting there. Yeah, I, I'm sure that the producers were like, why don't you go say this to your stepfather? But I think he would, he did not see it coming. Yeah. And I agree. And I think Kaylin has moments where she is very real. Like when she talked about her story, um, which I will give her credit for. She seems like a very genuine person. Mm-hmm. I just, she doesn't excite me. <laughs> I mean, but, but she might be one of the most genuine people, at least on this season mm-hmm. that I feel like. So, which makes her probably a good person in real life, a bad bachelorette. Yeah. Um, next. But, yeah. So, yeah. So I guess the only other thing with that date is Colton, like, starts off the episode asking every single father for permission Ugh. or permission slash blessing to marry the daughter. And he asks, um, Kaylin's stepfather. And eventually he, he's like, yeah, if none you, of them were super on board. No. Yeah. He's like, if you do ask her, um, mm-hmm. and this, yeah. So I don't know. This is replicated and it's the same in every family. I appreciated that. Cause that hasn't been in the past. They've been like, yes, you're yeah. wonderful. But they're all like, well, Yeah. So they, I don't know, and that, of course, is, like, a very, um, a, a centralizing, a very regressive, patriarchal aspect. I don't know. There's not much. I mean, it's harks back to a day when right. a daughter literally still lived at home until she got married and was the, well, property, but also dependent on their parents, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh there was that and well and again it's also just interesting that colton's a virgin they must know all the family must know yeah i don't know it's just like it's weird to me though how i don't know how clearly in like this date for example that there's this um i don't know reinforcement of these you know the natural family unit of um, you know, a husband, a wife, their, you know, their children, there's this re like constant reinforcing of like a heterosexual naturalized family unit when no, when many families themselves don't even live up to this, you know, this ideal that Kaylin yeah. herself, I, you know, we don't know what happened to her mother's marriage, but has a stepfather. So there's yeah. already, so it's, I don't know, there's this, uh, this Else. tension that if you read below the surface between what is, um, I don't know, idealized well, and presented in reality. You know, that's interesting because maybe they had that scene to be like, oh, he's a stepfather, but don't worry. He's like mm, a real father. And yeah, the, the reinforcing of... Like, the, don't, like a stepfather, ooh, don't worry. Right, he's... She, you know, she she still called him John. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like if he was a stepfather that she was like, I get it, this is my stepfather and, you know, he's married to my mother, but like... Because mm. fa- that would be like almost queering her family in mm. a way. So maybe they had to have that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, okay. We'll move to Hannah's date, which I I wanted to die during all portions of this date from the start of, well, this is, I guess, unrelated, but why was Hannah wearing an <laughs> off the shoulder shirt and Colton was wearing like a scarf and like a large sweater in Alabama? I just wonder like what was the weather that day, but yeah. Um, but they go to an etiquette class. So, oh, yeah. This Alabama, 
was very like Daughters of the Revolution. Well, yeah. I have, um, thanks to my other Bachelor podcast that I listened to, did you remember the umbrella part of this? How Colton is supposed to take the umbrella that Hannah's parents have been holding over her, sheltering her, and he's going to be the umbrella holder. Okay. I like, found out some problematic information about Oh, I can't wait this. to hear it. Okay. So, I'm regurgitating this. <laughs> but apparently... As a good academic would. Yeah. <laughs> I'm choking, choking on, on my sugar donut. Yeah. yeah. Um, apparently, this is um, like an, a fundamentalist evangelical metaphor um that i think has been kind oh, of i'm not surprised yeah has been sort of um promulgated in like i guess like sort of more traditional or fundamentalist like evangelical um like religious circles that um and on twitter i guess people were putting graphics of this that i think i'm maybe getting this wrong god is the big umbrella or jesus um and then sounds right colton is under Jesus slash God's umbrella, but he, Colton's wife, Hannah, potentially, is under Colton, and Colton is holding an umbrella over Hannah, so Hannah's protected by the Lord, Colton, and then Hannah gets an umbrella to shelter someone, only if she had her baby. So there's multiple umbrellas, but it's like this, it's 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 like like a, yeah, so it's very hierarchical, religious, but it comes from, I believe, like an evangelical kind of like metaphor of like the Lord and the family and like the natural family and like the relationship to, to Christ and, and the Lord. Well, I just think so. cause we just recently read about like sexual ecstasy and Christ marriages and how like the sexual metaphor of being married to Christ, mm-hmm. even for men and women. So this is about umbrellas. Yeah. But so that, no, was... but I'm saying like under mm, his umbrella, yeah. like, like Colton is married to Christ mm. or, or penetrated by Christ or underneath his body. I'm really yeah, making it. I just got a New York Times notification that Luke Perry died. Oh my God. So. I just. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that was, I mean. I'm still thinking. I mean, I'm going to think about it for a long time. Yeah. So the. But anyway, <laughs> you're like, but anyway, let's go. Okay, who's next? Um, yeah, well. Oh, and then she rapped. She freestyle rapped. That was. was... Uh, very interesting. The... The whole joke of white people rapping badly is just, it's a bad look. Yeah. But I think, like, yeah, the whole the whole date was very reinforcing of um, Southern domesticity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those dynamics. It was, it was unfortunate to watch. But moving to Tasha's date, which was more fun. Um, so they went to a market, right? No. no, that was last week. <laughs> We're really it, it went skydiving. Oh, this was the oh yeah oh, which was I mean, sexual yeah. metaphors abound. Yeah, she she put him in a car. Yeah, and he. This was the most personality I feel like I've seen from like the, anybody. Yeah, they had like such a fun relationship, and I I would hope that he would pick Tasha because I feel like they're the most. I hope he does it because. She deserves more. She deserves more, and her, like, she's not allowed to be angry about anything or have her own feelings. True. Because it'll upset him. Yeah. So they... Watch your seltzer again. <laughs> so they went skydiving, um, and then they went to Tasha's home with uh-huh. her her dad, her mom, um, her younger brother. Oh, no, that wasn't the seltzer, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we go through the, the blessing again, um... 
And all the fathers seem, I mean, Tasha's father included, like, seemed very, he said you can't microwave a relationship. Yeah, that Um, was a perfect, yeah. So all of the, even though, um, all of the, I don't know, the patriarchs seem very hesitant, so far they all eventually give a blessing, um, including Tasha's father, but after he speaks with Tasha, and Tasha's like, I'm really into Colton, um... Meanwhile, she's Morse code blinking, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. These, like you were saying, like, these hometowns are very formulaic and they're not very interesting because, I don't know, and perhaps this is an example of how, you know, social structures yeah. and how The Bachelor, like this episode, socially structures gender performance in such a way that we, we don't get to see anything different. Um, you know, from women or from their families, but it's because there is a very strict type of, like, filming and, like, language used yeah. for hometowns. Um, so they have their date. Yay. Um, um, Cassie. Oh. This was, um, this was interesting because Cassie's being a little transgressive In here, potentially. Um, they go surfing. Um, cause Which looked like fun. It did look like, like a, fun. Yeah. Um, what's interesting to me is Cassie, you know, Colton's like, I love you. Like, he's so yeah. into her, and he's very clear with his feelings, and Cassie is very withdrawn. She says that she wants her family's approval. She doesn't want to say, I love you, or say anything yeah. like that until... You know, she's not ready, so she's going off Good a strategy. gender script Good in this strategy. way. I'm just getting my drink. Um, and so, you know, they go to her house, um, and we see Cassie's, like, beautifully manicured family. Uh-huh. Um, and her father, who's not that excited about Colt. Oh, no, not at all. So, this is the only date where, um, things go off script, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, like... Cassie's father doesn't give Colton the blessing or permission um, because he's just like, I don't know you well enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And then Cassie has a um, sort of like a weird fight with her dad where she cries and she's like, I don't want you to be mad at me. Um, Which was very telling about like. I read that as, like, don't be mad at me for putting you through this stupid thing. Or, like, yeah. don't be mad at me. Just go with it. Yeah. You know? So that was interesting. But Cassie just seems very, like, withdrawn in her affections and kind of, like, removed from the process. Um, and this, I think, gets translated into, like, oh, well, is she ready? Is she here for the right reasons? Why is she not wanting to get engaged like every other woman? And it's, like, well, maybe she just wanted to go to Singapore and date and hang out for a little bit. But that is... Um, problematic within yeah. like the formula of the bachelor um, or the or in like the typical gender narrative yeah. of falling in love yeah um because colton's being the more emotional one she's being the more withholding one yeah um but even though she is cassie still gets a rose and kaylin gets cut which is what was his reason for kaylin he actually didn't say anything which was kind of awkward she cried in his lap um, and she was like, I thought it was going to be us. Um, and I felt bad for her. And he was like, ah, like he didn't really say anything. Yeah. Um, which fine. Don't give her some bullshit. Yeah. He's just like, I'm not into not, you. Yeah. yeah. I'm in a week. I may propose to one of these three other women. Yeah. So Kaylin goes home. Um, and yeah, this episode was pretty dry. It was rough. It was rough. Um, is there... 
So how where else did we find feminism in this episode? Um really struggling i think well, i mean i asked you without having an answer Lindsay. yeah yeah i think that the only thing like i don't know we could say is that um going back to like this question of like um i don't know like criticism and representation Tasha is a woman of color in, yeah. in the final four and so we get to see um we get to see her family and her life and she gets a she gets a good edit and so yeah. it's um it's nice to see more diversity and representation, you know, just within the show. So Has, have they talked about it on screen? No, they have not. Okay. I think, and again, like, I don't know, this would be interesting to do a feminist media industry critique um, yep. of how, what choices were made, you know, from Rachel being the first black bachelorette to Colton, like, I don't know, like, industrially, like, within, like, the production of The Bachelor, because this season, to me, seems to present as much more conservative and not willing to engage in, um, like, explicitly with, like, issues of, like, race, where I think even in Nick's season, when Rachel was one of, like, the final four, they did talk about that, and they definitely talked about that in Rachel's season, so I wonder, I don't know. Are there more, is there a higher viewership in, in red states? And that's why they picked Colton or like, I wonder what type of like financial and like political incentives like ABC has. It is really odd because this show is like on top. Like, yeah, they really have a chance to do something. And I think honestly, if they had a black bachelor, I think they get a lot of ratings. Yeah. And I hate to talk, like, if if they're strictly on ratings, mm-hmm. like, I think that the industry forgets that if you target something to a black audience, like, black audiences come out for movies. They will watch, like, yeah. there is an audience and, and this mm-hmm. whole argument of, like, well, they're not the majority of the population, like, but you're leaving out, like, us people with money who want to spend and if you want to get really, like, capitalist about it because yeah, that's what it is yeah, yeah then then do that because white people are already watching yeah um so and i don't think you're gonna get them to stop watch so why yeah. not just include more people yeah we have a guest Friendly <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i definitely <laughs> i i agree i think that i i'm very um interested to apply like to talk about like this this coming week um and maybe we can bring some like feminist theory into like our discussion of psychoanalysis when we talk about the women tell all and when we because i think that is um there's more structural space for female contestants to to represent themselves and to talk and to speak and to potentially like transgress or critique some of like the mechanisms yeah um sorry we just had a kiss break Carly Beth just gave me a little kiss. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, do you, what's, do you have any, <laughs> what's your take? What's your, do you have any final words on like the feminist potential of this, this episode? I mean, I think that it has the critiques and conversations, um, I think are where like the feminist application comes out. Like the fact that we're talking about this and I don't know if everybody talking about it is like Judith Butler, but I think the conversation around it and i think also it's sh- it's showing its age if you will mm, yeah like it's showing its 
for some people, this is what dating is like. But even if it is like that for them, like, they know another way. Like, we're in a part where, like, popular culture has shown us Mm -hmm. other ways of romantic relationships. That it's, like, the difference is glaring. And I think that's really a good space for conversation. Because it doesn't always have to be everything that on TV has to be a good role model or has to be good. Like, that's not... Hollywood's not moral in that way. You know right, I mean? right. So it's kind of the, the negotiation of it. Yeah. And how um, and how also it's parodied. Yeah. There's a lot of funny parodies of The Bachelor. Yeah. Did you hear anything that was said in the episode that we also hear in Feminine? Honestly, I wasn't looking um, for it, but I could guess. Hmm. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. That's my... <laughs> I say that to you every class. Every class at the beginning. Um, I I guess when um, Cassie's dad said, yeah, he's a guy, I think <laughs> I could apply that to some of my, I don't know, some professors maybe. Yeah. yeah. He, he sure is a guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was pretty pretty boring or I have said this ice cream smells good (laughs) no I haven't (laughs) I have said this is where I used to get my blood drawn (laughs) so overall this was yeah we're not the best episode yeah we're and we're gonna get through we're gonna get through yeah we're I mean I know you're you guys are tired (laughs) we have to watch two nights this week we're tired we've got papers we've got historiographies we have reaction we're really really tired yeah we have um, summer job apps yeah I don't know we're we're trying our best. Yeah, that's all we can ask for, right? It's just our best. You guys have to, you're going to have to, like, write in and tell us if you want. Oh, do we have any viewer questions? Didn't we have one? Oh, we had, a, we had a video. Okay. Ready? Um, yeah. So this is um this this is a video question, so you guys can all listen to it. Um, well, Sam, what are your questions for Emily's podcast? Number one, uh, why do they overly sexualize Colton so much, considering his preferences on that. Do you like that shower scene in the episode? And then my second question is, um, do we think once Colton, like, like, you know, has sex, he's gonna be already married, and he's gonna be like, fuck. Kind of like, missed out. So, uh, so, wow, two questions. Yeah, Excuse me. Thank you, Sam. What um, was the first question? <laughs> yeah, so Sam asked, why does the show overtly sexualize Colton, such as in the, like, the, you're right, the beginning there was the shower scene, and then, secondly, once Colton has sex, we think he's, if he's married by the time he um, has sex for the first time, will he be like, fuck, I missed out. Um, for the second one, we don't know. So the first one, sexualizing, I think it's the titillation, the fact that yeah. like his virginity is being sold as like again this like pure Christian like for the taking. You know what I mean? Like who will he choose? I think it's also kind of because Colton's like I am a virgin. Um, that the Bachelor is like oh my gosh, men are supposed to be like sexually dominant and like yeah. and so they're trying to 
really emphasize that okay, Colton's a man, he's a virgin, but no, he's virgin, no, but he's hot. He's, don't worry, he's virial, he's don't worry. virile. Or, don't can, worry, it's his choice. Right. Don't so, worry, people will have sex with him. Yeah, he so just I, chose not to. Right. So I think they're really trying to like I don't know overcompensate for like I don't know this. You know I don't know for Colton's personal for the choice. Second question, um, and this is a completely personal philosophy that. You're, yes, he's going to miss it. I think that people, I think, A, people should have sex with whoever and mm-hmm. how many people they want, and that could be zero. That could be a high number. But I think you should have sex with more than one person in your lifetime. I would say maybe even more than two. I'm going to put it there. Just mm-hmm. like just to know compatibility and what you like and... If you are, now, if you have had sex with one person in your life and it's amazing, great. Great. Yeah. I just... Or if you never want to have sex at oh, all. That, great. Yeah. Great. But yeah. I'm saying, like, Colton has clearly said it's not a religious thing. It's not that. He... I, it, it just... Um, yeah, well, he I said... I just think it's going to be disappointing. Well, and he said that he wants it to be... At the end, this was very, like... He wants it to be tender, magical... And it's the best thing she's ever felt in her life. He, well, that's going to take some practice. Like, honestly, it's going to take some practice. It's not going to be the first time. If it is, miracles of miracles. But, like, first times are not good. Well, and I, I don't know. It's, so, it, and it's all a the very, pressure. It's a very hetero, like, going yeah. back to, like, bourgeois reproductive logics. There's no, there's there's a sense that it's, like, this is, sex is heterosexual between a man yeah. and a woman. It is, um... Colton is the person who is in charge of, I don't know, setting the script for the sexual yeah. experience. It's just very, I don't know, it, it, his I understanding of, like, sexual encounter and of sexual contact is very patriarchal, heterosexuality-ish, pro-capitalism, I don't know. So he could, maybe, we can send you queer temporalities, yeah. Colton, if you want to think about, like, <laughs> yeah, think outside know. these logics, um... I just worry for him because the first time is, uh, you know what? Okay, I take this back. I hope that he is okay knowing, like, the the literal first time is not going to be the best. And that's cool because you know what the fun part about that is? You get to keep working at it. You get to keep talking. I mean, there's nothing hotter than talking to your partner about what you want and what works and and giving them directions. Like, that's very hot. And if he's willing to listen and try out some stuff and be patient, then... You know what? It could be great for him. So, we wish you the best, Colton. <laughs> and thank I'm you. I'm nervous. I am nervous we'll, for we'll him. We'll find out. We'll find I'm out. nervous for him because it is a lot of pressure. But also, it doesn't have to be a lot of pressure. Just, like, Chalas. see how it goes. Yeah. And, Sam, thank you for both yeah. of those questions. They were very insightful. And yeah. we hope um, that you write back soon. Yeah. Um, so, we're done here. We both have to go pass out. Yeah. Um, so you can write us at, uh, bachelorcriticaltheory at gmail.com. Cassie, we're still waiting for you to write us. I... We'll, we'll get you that PDF if you email us. Yeah, if you... I don't know, Cassie, again, like, as I said before, um, if you have any questions about your LinkedIn and what yeah. <laughs> might be a better way to present your skill set... Yeah, yeah. Email us here. Yeah, um, um and then, can I steal you for a sec, dot Tumblr, 
dot com and we are on iTunes and Spotify. Mm-hmm. So write us a review on iTunes. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening with us from wherever you may be. Yep. Bye. Bye.